Hello and welcome to Good Nature, a show about good people doing really good things despite challenges like chronic illness, disability, and much more. My name's Tony, and I'm a digital media professional dealing with a chronic muscle condition called LGMD2I. Today, I'm joined by Emily Ladau, a writer and advocate whose first book, Demystifying Disability, is releasing this fall. In my opinion, this book serves as a great guide for others to better understand disabilities of all types, but also help those of us dealing with these conditions better navigate them. Emily talks about her book, blog, and much more. So let's jump right into it with Emily Ladau. You're a writer with your first book. It's coming out very soon, Demystifying Disability. It's available for pre-order now. I will drop a link uh, to an either the independent retail of your choice or the publisher itself. Um, but your journey as a disability advocate actually started where I guess many does 10 years ago on Sesame Street. Uh, can you talk <laughs> about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, everybody casually has their start on Sesame Street. Um, and also just really appreciate you specifically noting um, local retailer or um, publisher's website, because I'm definitely trying to push that as well for the book. I would love to have sales of it benefit uh, retailers who are especially hurting right now because of the for pandemic. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so support your local bookstore. <laughs> um, and in terms of how I got my start, uh, it was really just complete happenstance. I went to a summer camp for kids with all types of different disabilities. And uh, one summer, the talent agent from Sesame Street called the summer camp and said, hey, we're looking for some kids with disabilities to audition because we have a role that's going to be opening up. And so would you have any kids that you would recommend? And the camp recommended me because I was loud and precocious. <laughs> and nice. so um, I went through with the audition process, somehow made it to the end of the rounds. And uh, for a season, I had the chance to educate kids about what it's like to have a physical disability. So it was definitely an exciting start, if uh, a bit unconventional. Sure. Did you, I mean, you're only 10 years old. So, you know, top of mind, I would think being, especially being a New Yorker, a kid growing up there, you get to be on Sesame Street. That's already like pretty surreal. But like as a 10 year old, did you realize that there was some magnitude to being like, well, I never really see other kids with disability on TV. Now I get to be that kid I don't see. Was that something that maybe your parents talked to you about? I think that we were all just trying to navigate the actual experience and not really having um, as much foresight as I would have liked to recognize what the impact would be. And well, you're so, 10. I think that's yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was little. Um, at 10 years old, you know, I'm more concerned with whatever is happening in the moment. Although mm -hmm. I think in my own way, I did process that it was important because uh, one of the writers who has worked with Sesame Street for so long, her name is Emily Pearl Kingsley. Uh, she has a son named Jason who has Down syndrome. And so she'd already long been in the disability advocacy space. And she came to my house and we worked together on 
ensuring that my actual experiences were written into my introductory script. So it was really authentic and meaningful and true to life. And I think that that in its own way had an impact on me just seeing that it was possible even at 10 years old to be part of this collaborative process of really sharing my experience. So I guess speaking of what kind of led to that, you were born with a condition uh, called Larson syndrome, I believe. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about, is that something that's progressive or has it been like pretty steady your whole life? What, what is your current like day to day of managing it? I assume it's, it's something, you know, like I have a form of muscular dystrophy. There's no treatments. There's just like some maintenance you can do day to day to, to stay ahead of some parts of it. What's that like for you on a daily basis? Yeah, it's totally about maintenance. And uh, Larson syndrome is a genetic joint and muscle disorder. So my mother has it and her younger brother, my uncle, uh, also has it. And so, oh, wow. um, it's, yeah, it's all in the family. Um, for me, it's not necessarily a matter of saying that it's progressive, although certainly it's progressive in the sense that your body changes and your muscles can weaken over time and, you know, your bones can weaken over time and your joints can dislocate. So I think it's, it's a matter of saying that it's progressive in the sense that as you age, it does take a toll on your body, but it's not necessarily progressive in the sense that the disability itself is developing. It's more that your body is changing and evolving. And so, There are no real treatments or anything like that, but that's okay. It's not really that I'm looking for a treatment because I don't want to be fixed, to be cured, to have my disability eliminated because it's really a part of who I am. But uh, if somebody gave me a pill that would take away the chronic pain, I would take that in a heartbeat. (laughs) Right. So you're a very public advocate for the disabled community. And, you know, way before writing and publishing the book you've been working on, you've also written with Vice, Huffington Post, a a lot of publications. Was there a point where you started feeling like, okay, not only is this making a difference, but it's also kind of setting me on a professional path that that I I really kind of dig. And this kind of seems like what I'm meant to be doing. I love that question. And I think that I... I wish that I could say that I feel like I'm making a difference, but the reality is that I never want to get too ahead of myself. So I'm more about changing the mind of one person at a time than making these broad sweeping changes. And so sometimes I have that uh, sort of imposter syndrome, like, am I really making a difference? Uh, And I, I never want to let myself fall into some sort of complacency and say, oh, I'm I'm making all these big sweeping changes with my work. And so therefore, you know, my work is done because I think that right. advocacy is never done. It's just this ongoing and evolving process. Um, but in terms of actually turning it into a career, that was actually not my plan growing up at all. I mean, I was definitely outspoken in terms of 
talking about disability, but there were also a lot of times that I really shied away from it and I didn't want to be associated with it. I just wanted people to kind of forget that it was part of me. And then I got to college and about midway through college, I had this what I call quarter life existential sort of crisis. Uh, I had originally planned on being a high school English teacher. And then I said, I don't want to do that anymore. I am disabled and I want to explore that and dig deeper into what that means. And so uh, I ended up graduating. And then a week later, I went to Washington, D.C. I did an internship program that was run by the American Association of People with Disabilities and then just kind of went from there. I mean, that's not to say it was easy and that I didn't have to pay my dues, but um, this wasn't the direction I planned on, but it's one that I'm glad that I've taken. To your point, like in saying like reaching one person at a time, that's obviously very important, but I feel like there's a world where, you know, reading your book, like, and knowing my own situations and challenges and what I've realized I've talked about this on here, but I'm really only about five years into like feeling significant challenges from like what I've had has been very, I didn't even know I had it until probably 10 years ago. So it's been very, very kind of a slow progress. So like, it's really only been the last few years that I've needed the guidance that, that a person like you uh, provides, thankfully. And what we talk about on the show a lot is the workplace, like especially the traditional workplace, which has been upended by the pandemic. And it's like, hey, a lot of the stuff that caused us as, as, you know, people with specific physical challenges to deal with in the workplace before that went away. And it's, you know, slowly starting to come back. And I feel like a book like yours, if it were required reading for people in positions of empowering others, whether it's managers in a workplace, whether it's HR, you know, I've been over the past few years, you know, I I work in digital media and, and that kind of stuff. So like I've bounced around, not really by choice, but I've bounced around companies quite a bit. And I do find myself very often being the first person that even people in HR have ever dealt with, apparently, that have some sort of even minor physical accommodation needs. So it's a lot of work. As I'm sure you know, it's a lot of work being the person that has to write your own blueprint for how people can can help you navigate this and then educate them. I bring it up because a book like yours should be, in theory, very handy in us not having to do as much of that going forward, or maybe the next generation of, of people with disabilities that are trying to navigate the workplace, personal relationships, et cetera. Like there's, it's like now there's a guidebook and it's very clean, easy read. And it's kind of like, please engage with this. uh, So it'll make things a little easier for us. That's the dream, honestly, for this book to take some of the work out of constantly having to explain everything about disability. And I have no problem educating and teaching and explaining and sharing. I really want to invite people in. I never want to alienate anybody. But the reality is that as 
people who have disabilities, we are constantly made to feel like we need to be a living, breathing, teachable moment. And at any moment, we need to be explaining ourselves. And sometimes we're still figuring ourselves out. So how is it that we can, you know, take some of that load off of us to constantly educate and tell people what we need? It would be really, really helpful if people had a primer, a starting point, a place to get a couple of questions answered so that at least we're starting on more common ground. And so, you know, especially for people in human resources, that's a huge goal of mine for demystifying disability is that, you know, people who work in any sort of position of power or employer sort of role, that they will take the time to read this book and really understand that, you know, it is as simple in many cases as having an open, honest conversation about accommodations, about helping people who work in the workplace that they're running, who have disabilities, say, okay, I want to do what I can to make this experience as accessible for you as possible. How can I support you and help you? And I think that also will help shift the culture because a lot of disabled people are afraid to reveal that they have disabilities at work if they oh, yeah. you know, don't have apparent disabilities because the culture says that they're going to be stigmatized, that they're not going to be accommodated, that they're not going to be accepted. And so if we can shift away from that mindset of stigma towards disability, that would be incredible. Um, so definitely a goal of mine is for you know, us not to have to constantly reinvent the wheel, um, literally and figuratively, if you will, uh, in workplaces, but also more broadly, just to help give people a place to get their questions answered about disability that they may have been afraid to ask, or they may be unsure about the language to use. I just want to give people a friendly starting point. And so I'm glad to hear, you know, that you feel like this book will do that because I I recognize that there's a gap right now in how we talk about disability. There's very much the early stages of conversation about disability, the etiquette, the language, things like that, the getting familiar and comfortable with it. And then immediately we jump from that to, you know, being immersed in disability culture, if you really start digging into it, and there's no in-between for people who just want to understand what disability is before they begin to understand it as a culture. Was writing the book, was this like something that was on your radar for a while and then pandemic hits and it's like, okay, well now I really have all the time in the world to like hunker down on this or was it already like in the works prior to that? It was actually in the works prior to the pandemic, um, but not by much. So I started the writing process toward the later part of 2019, and Mm -hmm. then the pandemic hit. So what I thought was going to be a book written in between other moments of life became pretty much the moment of life. (laughs) That's kind of great, though, because you you actually got to do the thing that so many people said would happen, like the first couple of weeks of, you know, quote unquote, lockdown, where it's like, oh, like, 
everyone's going to finally get to focus on their like great art projects that they've been wanting to do forever. And as we saw, you're among the few that actually got to really hunker down to do that, which is, which is great. And prior to that, you know, you've, you've been real, I probably discovered you within the last year and a half or so. And it's, it seems like you've kind of become like one of the very few public media faces of disability and I'm sure there's good and bad to that. What's what's been on both sides? Like, what's been the most surprising things? Obviously, the first bad thing is that there are so few of us. But I'm sure you know, like anything, it has its pluses and drawbacks. Yeah, I think that the first thing that I want to acknowledge is is it's a privilege to be someone who is so incredibly visible in the media when it comes to talking about disability. And I say this both because of the stigma around disability, but also because of who I am and my other identities. And so I'm a white woman, I'm straight, I'm cisgender, meaning that I was, you know, um, I identify as the gender that I was assigned at birth. And so um, I'm very much what people tend to think of if they think of disability at all. Uh, I'm sort of that typical portrait of someone with a disability, wheelchair user, um, woman who is verbal. So I really want people to understand, first of all, that I'm not a spokeswoman for the disability experience. Rather, I am someone who is disabled, who is sharing my experience in the hopes that it will help other people find their way into familiarizing themselves with what is not just a medical diagnosis for a lot of people, but what is a community, a culture, an identity, a movement. And so I am hoping to, again, like I was saying before, give people that entry point, that starting point, but also to make them very aware that I don't speak for everyone. I never could. I mean, even you were saying before, you are maybe about five years into this journey or so. And so I was born with my physical disability. uh, And I think that something that we forget is that not everybody is coming to disability from the same starting point. There's so many outside factors that affect how you choose to identify if you choose to identify. And so, um, you know, I think that people tend to pigeonhole me into being the face of disability when they see me talking about it. But the reality is that there are so, so many disabled people who are saying incredibly valuable and important things. It's just a matter of us being willing to listen and recognizing that, you know, there are no spokespeople for disability, that it is one of the most diverse experiences. And so uh, that that's something that I grapple with, appreciating very much the privilege of being able to be so public facing, but also sometimes wishing that I could just be out of a job tomorrow because people would accept and respect and celebrate disability in all of its richness and its diversity and we wouldn't have to be having these conversations you know this might have been on twitter you had mentioned people actually reach out to you often for medical advice or something similar to that where it's just like whoa i am not qualified uh do you think that just comes from a place of like there like you said there is so little 
representation out there that like be, because you're a public figure because you're relatable to a lot of people you get a lot of that inbound like like questions and and almost pressure to be like something that someone else should be for this person but i'd imagine that's quite challenging at times yeah i think because discussion of disability in the mainstream is still so minimal there is a desperation for answers and we live oh, in yeah. a society where our systems are so incredibly broken and the people who are supposed to be giving us the answers about how to solve problems like a broken wheelchair or lack of access to proper health care or difficulty accessing transportation, those people are not giving us the answers that we need to live our day-to-day lives. And so we often turn inward to the community. And in having the privilege of being so highly visible, I think that people assume that I have figured it out and that I've somehow hacked the system, but that couldn't be further from the truth. I am still figuring it out just as much as everybody else. And so, you know, the other day somebody tweeted at me and said, uh, my friend's daughter has been trying to get in touch with this company to fix her wheelchair and they're just not coming. What do we do? And my answer is I'm currently waiting for somebody to come fix my wheelchair. I don't have the magical answer because our systems are so flawed because we have so few resources to go around that, you know, we're all in this fight. And I, again, have to acknowledge my privilege and the fact that I have access to a lot of resources that many people don't have. And so when they see me, um, you know, speaking up in public, they're thinking, and rightfully so, that I am privileged, that I am well-resourced, that I am well-connected. But even all of that is not a solution to a lot of the problems that we encounter. The real solution is fixing the systems. And that's not something that any one person can do. Sort of related, you know, the book's called uh, Demystifying Disability. What do you hope the book demystifies about disability for disabled people? Oh, I love this question. I think there's this misconception that if you have a disability, that you understand the disability experience but that could not be further from the truth as as it seems to be that's my saying you know couldn't be further from the truth Mm -hmm. I mean there's there's so many aspects of disability that are different from person to person and so your understanding of disability is very different from mine based on our lived experience and how we grew up and so I have just as much work to do as anyone else to be a good ally, to be a good accomplice, to be someone who understands and supports and knows when to step back and knows when to amplify. My disability experience is only mine. I say that if you've met one disabled person, you've met one disabled person. And so every disabled person has just as much of a responsibility as non-disabled people to be the best possible supporter of their fellow community members as they can possibly be. You know, we're recording this at the tail end, I guess, of, of Disability Month. And, I, you know, I've seen it questioned a little bit, like, how resentful should we be that, like, this isn't embraced by mainstream culture the way, like, other awareness months are? And it's kind of tricky, in, in my opinion. And, you know, maybe you have thoughts on this. But to your point, to me, it's like disability doesn't equal diversity, 
because it's just so different. It does, you know, it does to some degree because it's a very misunderstood, you know, section of, of society, but it, it's every experience is so different. So I think, you know, we probably have a ways to go and, you know, people like yourself are contributing to this. We just have a ways to go to define what disability, maybe like pride and, and awareness in general means. But what do you consider some wins? I guess like looking back at this at this past month, like the fact I guess the conversation at the very least has been more visible than in past years. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is something to be said for including disability as a facet of diversity, but recognizing that it is only one aspect of who a person is. So I right. yes, yeah. I definitely embrace disability as part of diversity while also recognizing that disability is the only identity that can cut across any and all other identities. And so I think it's not that disability itself is diversity, but it's that we have to recognize the diversity of people who have disability. And I think there's a, a slight nuance, you know, in differentiating between that. And so in terms of celebrating Disability Pride Month, I don't think that everybody is at the point of feeling pride. And I think that's because we as a society are not at the point of having moved away from stigma towards disability. And so it's kind of hard when you have some people who are loud and proud and full of pride about who they are, but we're also still operating in these broken systems and in this society that doesn't really understand disability as part of the human experience. So, you know, I, I think that in terms of wins for disability pride, the biggest win for me is if somebody who is struggling with their identity has felt a little bit more seen, has felt like Mm -hmm. they have found their way a little bit more into a community. And those are the wins that I see happening bit by bit in conversations on social media, the, the quiet conversations that we don't really see amplified in the media, the ones where, oh, you experienced that, so do I. You know, it's so great to know Mm -hmm. that I'm not alone, but also I wish that this didn't happen. And so that's that's the great part of Disability Pride Month is that it's an entry point and it's a conversation starter for so many people. But I think in terms of actually seeing disability as something to be celebrated – We have a long way to go for a lot of people because of the because of the systems that we operate in. I understand why it's difficult to feel pride when things are so difficult. Goodness knows that I grapple with it, too. uh, And it's been part of me and something that I've celebrated for my whole life. Shifting gears a little for for the aspiring authors out there. uh, I know you just finished uh, the audiobook recording portion of of your project and man what is that like because that to me seems like the most like obviously very important at this point like you talk about accessibility you know it makes the project itself more accessible but that has to be quite a process how are your vocals not like totally shredded because you did it like this like within the last few days correct yeah my my throat's a little worn down but only in the best way great No worries. You sound really good. (laughs) I appreciate that. Uh, It was a journey to record the audiobook. And again, want to acknowledge what an incredible privilege it was. Um, 
I think one of the most important things for me about recording the audiobook is that I really want demystifying disability to be as accessible as possible to the widest amount of readers. And so not only did I record the audiobook, but I'm also working um, with a colleague on a plain language version and an easy read version, meaning that the language will be significantly simplified so that it's more accessible and understandable um, to people who are either younger, to people who have intellectual disabilities. So I recognize that the typical book is not accessible to everyone in its written, printed form, and I really want to help shift that and change that as best I can. So the book releases in fall, correct? Yes. It comes out on September 7th. Where are some, especially around New York and your home of Long Island, shout out some some independent bookshops that uh, people should pick it up from. Oh, absolutely. So my book launch event is actually going to be virtual, uh, but it's going to be hosted by Blue Stockings, which is a wonderful bookstore in New York City. And so that's a really great place where you can support. Um, if you're looking for places to support around the city, I recommend going to your favorite local bookstore, seeing if it's there. And if it's not there, ask for it. Um, The reason that I say that is not to benefit me, but because, again, any sort of visibility that we can bring to conversations around disability and letting bookstores know that that representation is so incredibly valuable to so many of their patrons, I think that's a huge move in the right direction. On top of that, you also have your own podcast and you're an editor of a couple projects. Can you talk about those? I like to keep busy. I like to wear a few different hats. Yeah. Uh, So I am the editor-in-chief of the Rooted in Rights blog. And so that's just rootedinrights.org. And the reason that I love that is because it really allows me to amplify stories from such a wide range of disabled writers and people who have incredibly valuable and insightful experiences to share. And so that's that's my chance to really um, move back and pass the mic and help other people get their stories out there, which I love. It's one of my favorite things that I do. Uh, And there's so many valuable resources and readings on there. So I really recommend that. Um, And then, yes, I am the co-host of the Accessible Stall podcast with uh, one of my best friends, Kyle Kachadurian, who also has a physical disability. So, you know, I think I I joke that I'm a professional disabled person. I'm just disabled 24-7, which is true both literally and figuratively. But it it really, (laughs) it's my passion. It's educating people about disability is my passion. And you know, my hope is that people will take some of the resources that I have the opportunity to work on and use them to further their own learning processes. It's great. I mean, I think about it a lot, like with the challenges of, obviously we talked about the the traditional work structure and the options were kind of, you know, from a high level, just given as having challenges like that's it's either you suck it up and, you know, put yourself in the machine and deal with the punches as they come and just work, work, work as, 
you know, we're just programmed in this society to do anyway. Or you, the other option is going on disability, which is so complicated. And like, you know, you're just told like, well, you can't even like save money. You can't build equity or wealth with that. And it seems like it's never been easier. Of course, it's not easy, but it's it's never been more realistic as a whole to become, I guess, like a, a public figure or, you know, as it's called, like an influencer for something that you are, that is uniquely about you. So it is kind of encouraging to see that, you know, with, with disability, with the conversation around it, like there is another option there. And it's kind of like just doing what is a pipe dream for so many people. And it's just like, do figure out exactly what you want to do, be strategic and go for it. It kind of seems like, you know, obviously you've thankfully been pretty successful with that, but like, it, it'll be nice to see, hopefully that start happening more and more where it, there is this like third world uh, for people with, with challenges like ours, where it's just like, no, you can really, you can write your own script. You can be your own person and make that what you're all about. And that's essentially what, what you've done and, and what you're talking about, which is amazing. Yeah. I feel really lucky to have been able to carve this path out for myself. And I think that I'm also lucky that I had really solid foundations behind me in terms of family support, in terms of a roof over my head, you know, in terms of feeling um, like I had the safety net behind me to be able to do this. But even so, I also kind of uh, hit those same barriers of, you know, do I go the typical route with work? Um, and if I mm-hmm. do go the typical route, I risk losing some of the benefits and resources that I need in order to receive the care that's so critical uh, to my body. And so um, I have definitely and continue to be in that position of trying to strike that balance of, you know, carving out a niche for myself and making a living, but also struggling with you know, maintaining that balance of having access to the care that I need. And so, again, like as I was talking about before with our very, very broken systems, we really set disabled people up to struggle in the sense that, you know, (laughs) the safety nets are hard to come by. And if we do use any of those safety nets, then we're considered lazy, we're considered uh, a drain on society, but that's not true. That's just not true at all. And so um, I do think that a lot of disabled people are turning to social media and turning to online sources of revenue and self-employment and directing their own paths in life because we've set up a society that doesn't welcome us into the traditional workplace, but then looks down upon us when we aren't working. And so we're trying to find that happy medium. But I think, you know, obviously the first step is to stop determining the worth of a person by whether or not they are employed. But more than that, I think it's important to recognize that disabled people are coming up with our own creative solutions because we've been left with no other options. Yeah, and we are naturally, I've had my friend Nicole, uh, who's an actress, has been on the show. She was the first person I remember to say to me that like people with disabilities are natural problem solvers because we've had to be like for a very long time. Um, it's, it is kind of like a one of the things to be have the most pride about is this like extra sense we have of just like, well, I can figure out my own stuff so I can figure out just about 
anything uh, a lot of times. Yeah, and that's a total asset to the workplace. But more than that, it's a total asset to us uh, yeah. because we are creative and we can come up with solutions to problems because that's what makes the world work for us. In wrapping up, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Ooh, so I am a big fan of Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter at Emily underscore Ladau. You can also find me on Instagram at Emily Ladau, no underscore. Uh, and then I'm on Facebook at Words I Wheel By. And you can check out wordsiwheelby.com. Thanks so much, Emily. Everyone uh, go pre-order the book. Link in description of this episode. And... Thanks again, Emily. Thanks for having me, Tony. Thanks for listening. If you want to subscribe and rate on whatever platform, wherever you're listening to this, it is much appreciated. Uh, Go find and pre-order Demystifying Disability and say what's up to Emily online. I hope you'll check out another episode. And until then, stay good.